Hello and welcome to another episode of the Big Nickel IDP podcast. I am your host, John Macri, PFF's IDP specialist and data analyst. Last episode, we did buys and sells from the NFC conference with the young king, Evan Ronda. So please go check that out as well if you haven't already. And naturally, with this episode, we shift our scope over to the AFC. I know we're in the midst of NFL free agency right now, and we'll touch on that, I'm sure. But dynasty season always takes priority and the buy sell windows continue to fluctuate. So let's get into it. go i'm excited to dive into each afc team as we look to either invest in some quality idps or pedal away the wares of those we deem as fugazi idps and joining me to help dissect the values of these players from both idpguys.org and dynastyleaguefootball.com hailing from the uk mr jace abbey i'm pumped to have you on the show how's it going my friend I'm really good, John. Uh, I'm excited to be on uh, and to be talking defense with you. Thanks for inviting me on. You're one of my favorites in the in the IDP space. Uh, and this show is, um, well, it's just a great advert for the defensive side of, of fantasy football. Um, I do have a, a bit of a bone to pick with you, though. Um, I, I, was, sure. <laughs> I wasn't aware until fairly recently that I'd be following uh, Greg Rosenthal as a, a guest on the show. That's a it's a hard act to follow. It's a, it's a pretty big shoes to fill. Yeah, that's that's the uh, the IDP show, guys. They've uh, they've gone Hollywood on us and and uh, <laughs> getting in some big big time guests, Greg Rosenthal and uh, and Nate and Nate Tice uh, yep. from the Athletic. So pretty cool uh, stuff to have in the feed. But I I have no doubts you'll be able to to follow Greg and and Nate Tice as well because <laughs> uh, yeah I followed your work and and yeah the feeling is mutual. I've been a big fan of yours as well and think you do some great work. So. Uh, this will be fun. I mean, we got a pretty big list of of players here. Obviously, like I said before, we're, we, there's already been a fair bit of movement in the NFL with uh, with free agency and and players being added to teams, released, re-signed, all that kind of stuff. Um, we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon, Eastern Standard Time. That is, and uh, we'll drop this on Thursday to give uh, some some breathing room for uh, the aforementioned IDP show with their free agency reaction episode but uh yeah how have you been jo- enjoying uh free agency so far any initial reactions to some of the the kind of signings or releases that we've seen oh yeah i, I love this uh this week it's um it's pretty cool to come on uh during a week when there's been so so much nfl activity and the the fantasy community is feeling so pumped about uh everything that's been going on every yeah. year i almost forget how crazy the first couple of days of free agency <laughs> can be people losing their minds it's it's awesome um and yeah some some huge signings there uh, i've got a few that i i like um a few that i really don't um how are you feeling generally speaking yeah i mean it's been yeah it's been pretty exciting i think um i think i, I was pretty happy with uh devondre campbell resigning with the packers yeah. um i mean it's a it's a big deal for, you know, a 29-year-old linebacker but he was so good last year that i i think he he deserved that and um, he was one that I was really kind of banking on and uh, yeah, some, some interesting stuff. I mean, Hassan Reddick changing teams, somebody that we talked about last episode, uh, with Evan Ronda, 
as one of ourselves. And obviously, yeah, the, the most recent one as we record this was Randy Gregory uh, signing with the Cowboys and then not signing with the Cowboys and then actually signing with the Broncos. So yeah. uh, that was uh, that was an interesting one as well. But I, I, I kind of like the the fit for, for Gregory there um, just because there's not a ton in the way of competition for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just to just to touch on Campbell, yeah, I'm, I'm I feel similarly. I think it's the the best outcome for him uh, mm-hmm. for his fancy outlook. I mean, he was um, a bit of a revelation last year. I wasn't yeah. uh, I wasn't expecting him to be nearly as good um, last year as he uh, as he was. He's he's you know he's been productive in seasons past, but that was um, that was really next level. Um, and so yeah, for his fantasy outlook, that's that's the best outcome for him. I think um, it's a lot of money and. If he he has to play at a similar level coming forward to justify that um, that amount of money, but um, I'm more confident in him than I am in. It's difficult not to compare against uh, Foyer Aluakun. Um, that's, right. That's 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 also a lot of money, but I I, I feel less confident in in him um, becoming a uh, becoming quite the player as as Campbell will. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, Foye, he's he was obviously led the NFL in tackles last year, so he was this great IDP. And it, it, it's it's tough for these guys, I think, changing systems. Um, it's going to be a new defensive coordinator. I mean, it's going to be pretty different coverages, I would think, than what he's used to as well. And he's already not like a great NFL linebacker. I mean, I think he had like a overall grade in the 40s last year, so it was pretty low. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's not the best outlook i i mean i know people are still excited about him because obviously and miles jack got released too but uh, you know he could be he could be hit and miss as well he's a he's a pretty expendable linebacker as far as i'm concerned even though they paid him quite a bit of money yeah i'd be i'd be fine i was thinking about this uh, earlier i'd be fine with uh a in redraft but i i, I wouldn't be very keen right uh, in 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 dynasty i um yeah similarly i feel he's he's got a limited skill set um, I don't have a lot of confidence that the change in scheme uh, will produce, uh, you know, the kind of turnaround that we saw in someone like Campbell. Um, you know, as you point out, he has been productive, um, but I, I'm not, I'm not sold on the idea that he can remain uh, as productive going forward on an ongoing basis. And for that reason, I, I don't like that that contract um, nearly as much as I like the the Campbell one. Even though for sure. Jack is gone, doesn't really change my opinion. I think there was probably um, nearly two full full time roles there anyway in that scheme. Um, yeah, I yeah, don't like it. Yeah, no, I, I I'm with you 100 percent on that one. I it's I think you're right. It, for for dynasty, I, you know, I don't love it. He, people look at the deal and say, you know, he's going to be on the team the whole time, but there's no guarantees of that. I mean, look, they just cut Miles Jack, right? So mm-hmm. they're they're not going to be afraid to to let guys loose if they're they're not performing well. And Jack was definitely in that category uh last season so yeah i i mean i think you're right redraft is probably the best spot for for luacon but anybody expecting him to hit 160 tackles whatever it was last year i i think we need to temper expectations for sure uh on a guy like that so exactly 
Yeah. And so, so just as far as like buy sell uh, goes, we kind of touched on this last time with Evan, but just kind of how I'm like approaching the the concept of it. Uh, it is mostly for dynasty purposes, right? So basically looking at certain players who I think have, have hit their ceilings already, somebody like a Foye Aluakon, for example, uh, and guys, and they're, those are guys that I kind of want to cash in on um, or players that I think are being valued higher than uh, than they probably should be in drafts that I'm letting maybe somebody else grab. Uh, and then buying guys who I think have the potential to outperform their current value uh, next season and, and then beyond as well. So I don't know. How about you? Anything else that you're looking at when it comes to the players that uh, you put on your list? Yeah, I try, and, I try to bear in mind... Um some of the the trends that we've observed in decent in recent years that's the biggest sort of differentiator i find in identifying buy and sell candidates um so things like um the general sort of trend towards and the not so sudden proliferation of single linebacker schemes um the idea that there's fewer full-time linebackers than ever before uh, i find that fantasy leagues in general have been slow on the uptake certainly in terms of sort of position requirements and that does Two things drives up the value of the the sort of the 35 to 40 full-time off, off, off-ball linebackers that are available. Um, and uh, it makes me more willing to sell certain players, especially if they've got name recognition value, if I believe they're not going to play a sizable role. So that's one of the first things I look at. Um, secondly, um, defensive schemes that involve a heavy rotation at certain positions, especially on the defensive line, but also on the edge and uh, with off-ball linebackers again. Um and then lastly, the, the the increasingly impatient nature of the the NFL when it comes to player evaluation and the idea that sometimes in, in fantasy, we don't always move on for a player as quickly as NFL teams do. I find if you're willing to miss on the rare late bloomer, you can often sell at peak value before the value drops off significantly. Um, you know, as with any gamble, it's not a, an exact science and unexpected stuff happens. And you know, all of us get 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 decisions wrong at times. Anyone sure. that claims otherwise is either lying or, or deluded. <laughs> um, but I find when sort of thinking about some of these points, um, as I mentioned there, you can increase your hit rate, you can hit rate, and minimize those uh, those bigger buys and sells that you end up regretting. So. Definitely. Yeah, I think I think that'll be a pretty common theme of of a lot of these players, um, especially the younger ones, right, is is identifying the red flags um, and being able to cut bait before, you know, you take too big of a loss. I think a lot of people um, give a lot of leeway for for young players who are either have like a first round draft capital or that they were excited about um, as a rookie that they're still kind of holding on this hope for. And I, I mean, I think that's going to end up costing your your dynasty rosters more often than it is uh, if you hold on to them, right? So Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't have to be black and white. It's a sliding scale, in my opinion. Right. Um, it's sometimes about what your what you perceive to be the most likely outcome in a situation um so if a player's shown that he's been mediocre for three years in a row the likelihood that he's not going to be mediocre in the fourth year uh it's not something i want to bet on uh, so yeah i i, I I'm, I'm a big advocate for getting rid of players before value drops off significantly even if that means taking a a loss on what i what i spent to acquire that player in the first case right yeah, definitely. Because it could only it could also dip even further, right? And you could be taking even more of a bath. So I, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, because yeah, I think we we got quite a few players who I think kind of fall into that category. So, um, 
So yeah, I mean, let's get into it. I, we'll, we'll we'll start things off. Like I said, we're covering the entire AFC, uh, and we can start things off with the AFC West. Uh, so that's one of uh, your divisions, and let's uh, let's go with the Broncos. Yeah. So uh, kicking this off with a bit of a tough one, really. Um, yeah. There's there's nobody on the Broncos that I'd be rushing out to buy ahead of the draft and if i had to choose somebody based on what we know right now i'd probably go with uh baron browning um i have uh reservations about his ability level he didn't really wow us last year um in fact he was kind of mediocre in run defense and in coverage that said he did improve in coverage towards the end of the season so you know what works in his favor well it's it's opportunity really the the start is heading into 2021 last year were, were Josie Jewell, uh, Alexander Johnson, and both are free agents. Um, the Broncos, in fact, that position for the Broncos was decimated with injury last year. So they had other contributors such as Kenny Young and Micah Kaiser, and they're also both free agents. So the only other off-ball linebackers currently under contract are Justin uh, Sternad, who was terrible, and uh, Jonas Griffin. <laughs> Someone has to play, and it's, it's most likely to be Browning. His biggest, and I think arguably his only threat, is whoever the Broncos bring in. And I think they will bring someone in. Um, hopefully for Browning, uh, Browning's fantasy managers, it's a, it's a death. It's a depth piece. Um, now, I will say there has been rumors the Broncos have, uh, are interested in bringing back Josie Jewell. So that's something to monitor, um, given that the Broncos started to feature more single linebacker looks. Um, so it's for that reason that I'm suggesting we wait until after the draft to make a decision on him. His value will increase slightly if, at that point, he has a clear path to the start job. But I'd rather pay slightly more than sink capital into him now, only to see it vaporize over the next six weeks. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think the Broncos are kind of this weird one. Like they don't have much in the way of desirable dynasty IDP assets. Um, I mean, they, they like we mentioned earlier, they brought in Randy Gregory, who was one of the buys uh, last last episode, but. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with with yeah Alexander Johnson who who did play well before he got hurt but there's no guarantees they bring him back and it took Browning a while to kind of get on the field as well right so it was like a mix of yeah Justin Sternad I mean Josie Jewell uh, Micah Kaiser Curtis Robinson Kenny Young they had all these kind of linebackers that were just not very good yep. um but I I'm with you I think Browning was the clearest uh long-term option of the bunch for them uh if you have to choose from that group so I think you know with there being a certain level of uncertainty with with this team and what their linebacker core might look like it's Definitely worth a shot on on betting on Browning over over the rest of them, and I, I still I, I like I like Jonas Griffith as well, but I, there's no guarantees that he's going to have a a significant role in 2022 or at all. Um, but yeah, I think Browning makes the most sense for sure. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up uh, Griffith. Actually, I um, I also kind of liked him. He, he didn't play a huge amount. He was there towards the end of the season, but when he did play, he he he, he demonstrated that he had something. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I want to see that over a longer period of time before I, you know, want to invest in that, but there's, there's something there with him. Um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He flashed on like a really small kind of sample size, right? He was, he was kind of aggressive and he made good reads and, and it all kind of worked out for him in those few plays that he was, he was out there, but yeah, to see it on a, on a, a you know, a, a a wider scale, like a full season is, is going to be tougher to replicate, but um, there are signs there that, yeah, he could be a good linebacker, just whether or not the Broncos believe in him to, to bring him back or to give him another shot. So, yeah. But uh, how about your, yourself for this team? 
Yeah. Um, so I think if you can find a, a manager who's still enamored or even hopeful about Bradley Chubb, then I'd, I'd, I'd consider selling him. But um, his value's probably at an all-time low after last season. Uh, mm-hmm. He was he was pretty ineffective um, when he came back. So you might be better holding on to him and hoping he looks he looks better in 2022. Um, uh, Kareem Jackson might be the more obvious choice. Uh, he regressed in just about every area last year. He's a, uh, a 33-year-old free agent, about to turn 34 in a couple of weeks. So if you find value for him, then then do so. He's not not the player he once he once was. Um, I'm pretty sure. Uh, now I think about it, I recall he was leading Pro Bowl voting at, at the position at some point last year. Um, wow. I'm a big fan of the player he once was, but he absolutely did not deserve to be considered one of the best performers <laughs> at his position. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's confusing. But, yeah, Bradley Chubb. Um, but, yeah, if you want to hold on to him and hope he gets better, understandable. If not, Kareem Jackson's an obvious one. Yeah, I'm with you. It's it's a pretty limited pickings on on that defense, I think. So, yeah, there's just not a lot to love there. But, yeah, I think I think Chubb, yeah, it's a definite down year. And I mean, if, if you could get something for him, I think that's great. And, um, but you probably, like you said, selling him closer to his floor than, than anything else. So just something to be aware of for, for a player that really hasn't shown all that much from like a top five pick. So, um, you never know that, that draft capital might be able to return some kind of profit for you, but it's, uh, yeah, it's feeling a little unlikely at this point with Chubb. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, next team on the list, the LA Chargers. Yeah, the Chargers. So if they keep him, uh, I'd say Kaiser White. Um, I've seen some talk in the in the fantasy community that White was gifted the job because uh, Kenneth Murray got got injured. It's, it's just not true. White, mm-hmm. um, he had a steady sort of 65, 70% snap share through the first three weeks of the season. Uh, Drew Tranquil's role increased over that same period at the expense of Murray, who's... Snap share dropped from 100% in week one to 79% in week two and 51% in week three. That's a huge drop off yeah. in a short period of time. And as I say, White won the job. Um, you know, he wasn't perfect, especially to begin with. Two of his uh, worst games of the season came during those uh, first three weeks, but he was much better once he was given the role on a, on a full time basis. The the obvious concern with White um, is that, um, you know, he might leave. Uh, the charges of uh, splashed out in free agency has been wild in the last uh, two or three days. Um, <laughs> there's every chance he, he he leaves. So, you know, while there's some uncertainty in, in buying a player who is moving teams, you'd have to imagine he'd be walking into a starting role elsewhere, even if he did leave the Chargers. Uh, either way, uh, I guess you won't have to wait long until until we know more. Yeah, but I, I, I'm with you. I, th- I think White does make pretty good sense. I mean, he was clearly kind of the best linebacker on the Chargers last year and and they they made it pretty obvious that the new uh coaching staff are just not fans of of Kenneth Murray. I I think there's a decent chance that White comes back to the Chargers maybe just looking. I mean they got, they have quite a bit of cap space even still after their spending, but um you know, if they're looking for a discounted position, uh, th- somebody that they're familiar with, I think Kaiser White could come back. Um especially for a team that struggled in run defense, right? Like White was their best option in that regard among linebackers. And he's still unsigned as of as of Tuesday right now, which keeps his IDP market likely pretty small at this point, but could be a nice time to take a gamble and, and a shot to, to buy him right now too for, um, for IDP. So 
Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I like Wade. I, yeah, I'd love the Chargers to bring him uh, to bring him back. I think he's a you know good fit, and like you say, he's the he's the best linebacker, best off ball linebacker on the uh, on the roster. Um, which takes us into my my cells. Um, I've got yeah. two. Uh, Jerry Tillery. Um, he's been a <laughs> A huge liability in run defense in each of the last three seasons. Uh, a lot of Charger fans have grown tired uh, of that fact, given that uh, a porous run defense has been a weakness of the of the unit as a whole. Um, I feel like he's had every opportunity. Um, he ranked eighth as his position in total snaps in 2021. And what did he do with that? Nothing. Uh, yeah. His run defense is not his only weakness. He's also ineffective as a pass rusher too. He simply failed to realize his potential. However, we uh, however we look at it, mm-hmm. and for me personally, he's he's one of the biggest disappointments because I I loved his outlook entering the league. I thought he was um, I thought he had every chance to become, you know, uh, a really good player. Um, right. But no, it wasn't to be. I think the signings this week as well, Joseph Day, Austin Johnson have, have sealed his fate. The only right. the only thing that works in Tillery's favor now and gives me any confidence you could get anything back for him in fantasy is his uh, you know his name recognition value. So. My advice is trying to find a manager who's willing to take a gamble on a player who was once thought of so highly that the Chargers wasted the first round pick on him. Yeah, yeah, he's. I I, I couldn't agree more. He's been a massive disappointment since he entered the league, and I, yeah, I was I was kind of on that train a little bit too. When he when he entered the league, there was quite a bit of optimism that he could be uh, a good pass rushing uh, interior defender as this kind of long, fairly athletic first round pick out of Notre Dame. But yeah, he's just been so ineffective. I don't know that it's it's ever going to happen for him at this point. Yep. Uh, and Murray, uh, moving on to Murray, I mean, a lot of the talk last off season was about how, you know, Brandon Staley was going to unlock Kenneth Murray's potential. People got excited about the idea that he, um, you know, might be used more as a, a blitzer, which um, should have been a red flag for his fantasy value, <laughs> given that we want our four linebackers to play the more traditional role uh, for maximum sort of fancy, fantasy production. Uh, I just couldn't understand the optimism, John. If you watched him closely in 2020, you could see a player who really struggled in, in coverage. And, yeah. you know, those 2020 rookies didn't have the time to prepare in the way that rookies of past years have had. But even so, it, it, it should have been a major concern for all. Um, he injured his ankle early this year. White stepped in, held down that job for the rest of the season, even after Murray returned from for my R, I think for for Murray now to increase in value, he'd need uh, White to leave. He'd need to beat out Tranquil and anyone else the Chargers bring in if White left. And he would also need to show huge improvement in multiple areas of his game. I've I've watched every snap he's taken as a Charger, and I really don't fancy all three of those things to happen. The fact yeah. that he regressed in pretty much every area of his game uh, last season doesn't provide me with any hope. Yeah, I, I, all, I mean, all the red flags are there, right? Like, this is a good example of one of those guys we talked about earlier where he's young, he's got the first-round draft capital, I, which it might help to sell him at this point, too, but he's one of those players that I think people uh, will keep giving second chances to, and and if you're a, a Kenneth Murray dynasty manager, he's he's someone that uh, I'd be looking to move and, and sell him to, to one of those people um, because... Yeah, like you said, he's just he hasn't been good, and obviously the coaching staff doesn't trust him. So, uh, it, it's just there's there's going to be new linebackers that come out every single year. A lot of them still going to be in the first round. There's going to be other Kenneth Murray types that you can you know take a gamble on and and probably hit on, but Kenneth Murray it it's not looking good. No, he came with a you know a huge reputation. Um, 
entering the league and, and yeah that's something as you say that we should we should be looking to capitalize on and um trade him while you can to someone that still retains some hope that he can turn into the uh, the linebacker that um that we don't believe he can yeah for sure all right how about the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, so uh, my buy for the Chiefs is uh, is Chris Jones. Um, I'm a big fan. He was he was elite when he moved back to the uh, defensive interior. Um, there's younger players at the position. You know, the the Jeffrey Simmons, uh, Quinn and Williams. Arguably, they've become sort of flashier, sexier names on the mm-hmm. on the defensive interior. But Jones is still only 27, and I, I think he remains one of the best at his position. He had. Um, the highest pressure rate of any interior defensive lineman. And I do accept that, you know, he he played predominantly as a defensive end to start the season, and that skews the data somewhat in his favor. But from week nine onwards, across all positions, only four players in the entire league generated more pressure than Jones. Uh, In fact, he had five more pressures over that same period than uh, defensive MVP, TJ Watt. And that's, um, for me, that's incredible, Uh, especially when you consider that the team had their bye in week 10, and Jones missed the game against the Chargers in week 15 due to being in the COVID protocol. So if you if you can find a manager who got caught up in the uh, the failed experiment earlier in the season when the Chiefs tried playing Jones as a defensive end, pull the trigger without thinking about it twice, especially in uh, DC-required leagues. Yeah, that's the thing, right? People were pretty pissed at the beginning of the year um, because he wasn't producing like they were expecting. But he ends up finishing the year with nine sacks, which was more than the year before for him. And uh, also 65 pressures, which was also more than the year before. So even with that um, that failed experiment in the first half of the year, um, it, it, it still ended up working out uh, pretty well for Jones. And, you know, we, we don't see um, a, a lot of defensive tackles that you know, that are great pass rushers, but Jones is definitely one of them. So age, anything like that, that people are are low on him for, I, I mean, that's your opportunity to buy because there's just, he's just a rare breed at this point. Sure is. Sure is. Um, so yeah, my sell is, uh, and this, this will ruffle some feathers, John. So Nick, <laughs> Nick Bolton, a lot yeah. of dynasty managers won't like this one, especially Chiefs fans. Um, but hear me out. I, uh, I want to be absolutely clear on a few points here. He's a, he's a sell for me, not because I'm not a fan. You know, he was a, a revelation as a rookie, and I understand why people aren't high on him. There was a, a lot to like. He read, he led all rookies in tackles, despite, you know, playing approximately 60% of snaps overall. You know, it was, a, it was an incredible performance. Mm-hmm. However, there's there's some unavoidable facts that we can't escape from. <laughs> his his tackle efficiency was, was otherworldly at sort of 18.6%, and history shows us the players are uh, extremely unlikely to retain such high levels of tackle efficiency from year to year. Tom uh, Kislingberry produced a really nice Twitter thread on the subject earlier this week after a uh, discussion he had with you, John. Um, the league average tackle efficiency is 11 to 13, maybe 11 to 14. Um, so the likelihood that, uh, that Bolton can maintain that sort of 18.6 mark is very small. Yeah, There's also an assumption um, being made that his performance will mean he plays more in 2022. And this is probably my biggest issue with uh, with Bolton. That's just not how Andy Reid likes to roll. Um, you know, injuries aside, the Chiefs played a, a four-man rotation all year comprising of Willie Gay, Anthony Hitchens, Ben Neiman, uh, and obviously Bolton. Um, opportunity rather than tackle efficiency is arguably the most important factor in fantasy. And we... We like to look for off-ball linebackers who play in the region of about a thousand snaps. Um, 
15 guys met or exceeded that number in 2021. No Chiefs linebacker has played 1,000 snaps since 2015. Uh, Bolton had 632 last season when Willie Gay missed five games. Um, week 13 onwards, including the playoffs, there were seven games when all four of those Chiefs linebackers were healthy. Bolton's snap share in those games in terms of percentages was 29, 44, 39, 44, 58, 58, 48. It's just not good enough. His, his fantasy value is red hot. It may never be higher than it is right now. That's a gamble you're willing to take. Go for it. Sell him high. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that, that is I said perfectly, I think. I mean, the guy was just uber efficient. Uh, really didn't meet a tackle that he couldn't make. I think he even had less than like a 5% missed tackle rate. But but yeah, as long as as long as Steve Spagnolo, Andy Reid, you know, those are the coaches there. He's they're going to find like version 2.0 of Anthony Hitchens or Ben Neiman and, and really crush all of our dreams. Because I think right now it's, there's a, a hope that it could be Willie Gay and, and Nick Bolton, but they're, they're going to end up bringing guys in that they like. Bolton was just kind of their early down uh, run stopper. I, I like him a lot as a player, but you know, I, I think IDP wise people expecting it like LB one numbers again, I just can't get that excited knowing what the Chiefs defense do with their linebackers. I think, you know, if you're valuing him more in like an LB3 kind of range, like a depth piece or, you know, um, uh, like a, a late starter in, in a deeper league, then, you know, that's something else. But anybody expecting those big LB1 numbers from a guy that is going to rotate quite a bit, uh, even in 2022, is is going to be pretty disappointed. Yep. Yep. Um, so the Raiders, um, my buys for the Raiders, I've got, I've got two, uh, I'll talk more about one than the other, but, um, Max, Max Crosby is, uh, is my buy. Um, so I wrote a piece on, on him as part of a, an IDP surprises article for DLF last month. Now I know this will also, um, uh, this will also won't sit well with some fantasy <laughs> managers. Not everyone feels similarly about him. Um, he led the pressures, uh, led the league in pressures with uh, with 101. That's uh, 15 more than Aaron Donald and 20 ahead of the next nearest edge rusher, Rashan Gary. That's the largest margin between the number one and number two edge rusher in over 15 years. Um, and I don't just mention that for the sake of it. That stat has some significance when valuing Crosby relative to other edge rushers. So on that point, I'll, I will remind listeners of a point that, that won't be new to many uh, when I say that, you know, research shows that pressures are more indicative of future sack numbers than in sacks alone. Um, obviously, Crosby went long spells without earning sacks. He, he opened the season with, with two, um, had, a, had, a, had a spell, a fairly large spell without any sacks, had that five-sack game against the, the Broncos. Um, but otherwise, his, his inability to generate sacks did, did hurt fantasy managers. And I get that that left, left a, a sour taste in the mouths of, of many. What I'm saying is to, is to use that point to your advantage and to buy him. Um, his finishing rate uh, was 9.9%, uh, was which, is, uh, which is very low. None of the, the league leaders in pressures in the last 10 years have converted a lower percentage of their pressures into sacks. Um, Crosby himself had a 14.5% finishing rate. Uh, in 2020 and a 24.4% finishing rate in 2019. It's a strong, strong possibility that those numbers will improve uh, going forward into 2022. And with that, so will his sack numbers and his value. Mm -hmm. And lastly, I will end on this point. Uh, I try to avoid 
factoring emotion into fantasy football decisions where possible. It's not always possible. Um, <laughs> but it's difficult not to pull for a guy like Crosby when he's he's overcome what he has in recent years. It's a it's an inspirational story, and I was I was kind of pleased to be honest with you to see him rewarded with that big fat contract last week. For sure. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, good timing on the on the Raiders to give him that contract, too. And I mean, yeah, anybody that has, has been listening to this podcast or followed my work um, knows how much I love Max Crosby. And I don't have to say much more there, too. Again, you, you laid it out perfectly, Ed. Um, he's, he sits as my edge six right now for Dynasty. Um, and and yeah, the belief is obviously that those pressures are going to lead to sacks. I mean, he may not have 101 pressures again, but he's still an elite edge rusher and he's he's shown that this year and he's also shown in the past that he's not he doesn't have a problem uh finishing plays. It it showed a little bit more in in 2021 but the previous two years he was uh one of the elite finishers in in the league compared to his uh his pressure and and pass rush rate so yeah I, anybody that's slow to the the fact that pressures lead to sacks is uh the person that you want to buy from because uh crosby could be a huge uh a, a huge idp for for 2022 and beyond for sure yeah and you know like you say he be he, he may not and probably won't generate 101 pressures again next year but because that finishing rate will will increase or should increase he he almost doesn't have to um in order to uh to maintain or increase increase his value so yep um yeah exactly the other guy uh, i will mention him uh, i don't feel as strongly about this one as i do crosby but um divine diablo uh, i think he's uh i wasn't uh, entirely sold to be honest with you on the idea of him coming into into the league um I thought he was getting a little bit too much um, press on the back of the fact that he just simply had a cool name. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, there was there was aspects of his game that I liked, but I was I was impressed. I was generally impressed uh, in the in the limited time he had, um, and I think I think he's got a future. Um, I don't think he um, his value is at the level now that it will be at this point next year. Put simply, right. Yeah, he's he's kind of a, of a fun one, um, and not just because of him having one of the the coolest names in football, like you said. <laughs> I, you know, he he does have, I think, that dual designation, uh, like for DB linebacker for for sleeper, for example. Um, Little Littleton is gone. Um, you know, Perriman's still there. There's but there's room for for Diablo to take over. It's definitely a a fragile situation right now. But if he survives it, then that that'll make him you know getting him now kind of a nice bargain but yeah i think he he did impress from as far as being like a, a former safety in college and transitioning to the linebacker position i think uh i think he did a pretty nice job as a rookie but i i'm with you in that he you know like i said it's a it's a fragile situation at best and uh that could change for him pretty quickly yep yep um so cells i've got uh i've got two um on the assumption that people might have already sold the first guy. So my first guy is Corey, Corey Littleton. Um, so he, he lost his job um, towards the end of the season because, well, simply put, he's just a poor player. Um, he's had, he's had what, one, maybe one and a half good seasons out of five, and he hasn't played well since 2019. Um, he was headed for a, a productive year in, in 2021, but I would, I'd contest that anyone in that role um, could be productive. You only have to look at others like um, uh, Tay Crowder, um, Alex Singleton, and, and now, sadly, you know CJ Mosley, for examples of how players, particularly off-ball linebackers, don't need to play well to be productive in fantasy. 
Littleton fits that mold for me. Um, the problem with those players as well comes when the NFL teams have had enough, as the Raiders did with uh, with Littleton last year. He's got a 14 million uh, dead cap number in 2022, so he'll be back. Um, I I suspect, uh, even so, I'd be very surprised if he had a, a sizable role going forward. Um, my second guy, um, uh, Ashley. Do you want to do you want to talk on Littleton before I move on to my next guy, John? Um, no, I just I'll just say yeah, he's bad. He sucks, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's he's a definite sell. I, I'm with you completely. Yeah. Next guy, not not as clear uh, clear cut in terms of a sell um, because of how productive he was, but it's Denzel Perryman, and this might uh, again raise some eyebrows as he was uh, as he was he was just so productive in 2021, and he's. He's probably going to play a fair bit in 2022 as well. Um, so the knock on him is that um, I don't think he can maintain the, the same level of, of tackle efficiency going forward. He was at 17.8%, way above the league average. Uh, and history share, shows again, as I said with Bolton, that he's he's going to find it uh, hard to maintain that level going forward. This time next year, Perriman will be 31 years old. He'll have the same limited skill set and he'll probably be a free agent. Um his fantasy managers might want to get out now while they can, unless uh, I guess they're a contender in 2022 and losing him would leave them seriously shorthanded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that call though, because like you said, like that that super efficiency from from the tackling uh, standpoint, it's gonna it's gonna level out, right? And you know, just betting on outlier seasons year after year is a pretty surefire way to kill your team. So, yeah, for dynasty, I mean. Maybe you do. If you sell him now, you have to live with a year of him still being a viable IDP asset after you move him. But trying to move him next year, for example, when he's, like you said, an expected free agent of 31 years old, it's going to be a lot harder and the return is likely going to be a lot less as well. So if you have the depth or you're not uh, or if you you need him to contend, um, you know, that I, I'm, I'd, I'd be looking to sell him for sure. Yeah. I mean, the the right thing to do might be to to keep him for part of the season and sell him mm. sell him before people start to get worried about who's not under contract um, uh, from twenty twenty three onwards. Um, yeah, it's it's a decision every every fantasy manager is going to make. It's not an easy one, I get that. Yeah, yeah. Like if your team starts to not perform as well as you thought they might, and you're no longer in contention, uh, and you have Perriman on the on your roster, then yeah, selling him to a contender uh, would definitely be the move there. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the AFC South, uh, and I'll start it off with the Houston Texans. Um, so. Yeah, before I even get into this, I have to apologize to Jonathan Greenard fans everywhere because when I put out my my top 250 uh, IDP Dynasty ranks, he did not transfer over from my spreadsheet to WordPress for whatever reason, and it seemed like I left him out. But I assure you this was not the case, so um, please don't cancel me because I, I do like uh, Greenard, but <laughs> just maybe not as much as some. I, I do think he's maybe the best IDP option on the Texans, which also might not be saying much, but he comes in as more of like an edge three type for me, mostly because I want to see more and I'm I'm trying not to overreact to his smaller sample size compared to his peers. He had just 215 pass rush snaps last year, which was 82nd uh, among edge defenders. And he did earn an 89.2 pass rush grade, which was seventh among edge defenders. So he, he was good on that small sample size, but he also had an overly efficient sack rate of 3.7%, which was like 
like 94th percentile for his position. So the average being about 1.7%. So we can expect that to probably come down a bit as well. Um, I, I know this makes me sound like I, I, I don't believe in him, but I, I do. I, I just think he can be... Um, you know, he could be one of the better starting edges in IDP as long as your expectations are that he's he's more of like an edge two at best. Most weeks he'll probably be more of that edge three. But I think the talent and the potential are there that he can provide a decent return if he continues to play like he did uh, in 2021. Yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty perfect overview. Um, I feel very similarly about uh, Greenard, John. Um, he looked um, excellent for a, a, sh- a short period of time after... Um, uh, merciless, Whitney Merciless left, mm-hmm. uh, and although he, yeah, you know, at least converted pressures into sacks at a rate that will be uh, difficult to sustain on an ongoing basis, he still, he still looked the part. Young, gifted, just needs more snaps. Yeah, yeah, I will see. I mean, I, I assume he'll he'll get more snaps than that in twenty twenty two, but um, I, I still want to see a little bit more uh, from Greenard. Um. And then my sell for the Texans, I, I put linebacker Camu Gruger Hill. I, I mean, I'm using Gruger Hill's name here, but really this could be any and all Texans linebackers from this past year. Uh, none of them, including KGH, showed that they could or should be long-term options at the linebacker position. But the team itself is just so devoid of talent that they they might seem like enticing options. So KGH is also an expected uh, free agent as well, it, it, which, again, brings even more fragility to both his short and long-term outlook. They also brought back Christian Kirksey on a two-year deal. Um, I, I mean, even Zach Cunningham, who who they cut and has had notoriously poor PFF grades, uh, graded even better than KGH during his time there. So, uh, so did Kirksey. Um, so I think for exact numbers, numbers for Gruger Hill, it was a 44.4 overall grade, 45.9 in coverage, 45.0 in run defense. Just not a lot to love there. And even before the Kirksey signing, there were basically only two linebackers under contract for the Texans heading into the offseason. That was Kevin Pierre-Lewis, who didn't start a single game last year, uh, and Garrett Wallow, who started one. So they they chose to get a deal done with uh, Kirksey over KGH first as well, which might give you some insight into the Texans thinking on on how they value these guys so at best KGH comes back to to Houston gets a gets to start another year but his value isn't likely to continue past that so for for that reason I'm out on him yeah no no arguments here um I feel like he probably has uh, some value as a as a sell candidate because he had a he had a couple of huge weeks didn't he um mm-hmm. yeah last season um and for some reason he is that sort of name that that people seem to um mention more than i think he deserves i, I don't really know where that comes from um i haven't seen him do very much in recent years at all um yeah He's, he's he's not great. He, <laughs> he he demonstrated divisions in coverage, run defense across the board. Uh, free agent, like you say, I don't think he's done enough to justify a sizable role, whether he remains with with the Texans or moves elsewhere. Yeah, and I think I think too, like IDP players are usually pretty sentimental with some of it with some guys, right? So KGH was a he was a waiver wire darling last year, and he produced really well for people. So th- there's always this hope for him that you know they'll. They'll have picked up this linebacker who was free on waivers and he'll be a dynasty asset for them for years to come. But I mean, we can't just put, we, 
there, there's so many guys like that every single year that we should be putting faith into long term. And, um, you know, we, we will be happy with what he gave us in 2021, but I can't imagine it goes much further than that. Nope. Agreed. All right. So next team on the list, uh, the Indianapolis Colts. So I, I got two here kind of, um, so I'll start with, with one that, uh, is probably going to be one of the tougher buys of the off season, but edge defender, Quiddy pay. Uh, so last episode, uh, I talked about, you know, kind of what hitting on a freak athlete like a Rashawn Gary could look like um, with last season being that year where his physical gifts kind of aligned with his opportunity and pass rush prowess. And in a very similar vein, we could see the same happen for for pay at some point in the next couple seasons as well. Um, also out of Michigan, but he's just one hell of an athlete, like even breaking uh, the record for the three, three cone drill for a player his size. And he topped Bruce Feldman's freaks list in 2020. So while Gary was some Somebody that, you know, had already broke out in 2021 pay is one that we might be able to get in on now and hopefully acquire before he has that potential breakout of the same nature. Uh, only really posted a few truly great games where his pass rush grades or pressure numbers were leaked, but he's definitely capable. The Colts have typically been uh, a team that rotates their edges, but Pay played a lot more than I expected last year, 638 snaps. And I think there's even room for them to to lean on him even more as he improves as a run defender, which was something that uh, he was excellent at in college. So, uh, yeah, maybe it's not 22 ex- 2022 exactly that we get the breakout if he's on a similar path to, to Rashawn Gary, but um, the opportunity will be there in year two more so than it was for Gary. And and it's definitely possible that he, he hits sooner rather than later. So I'm more all for betting on the boom with, with, uh, with pay this off season. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, you know, he's one of a, a number of uh, gifted young edge rushers who, who flashed at times last year mm-hmm. uh, and, you're, you're right to point out you've got to manage expectations with with these guys certainly as they're um, as they're starting out um i feel like in some respects we've been spoiled with the likes of micah parsons and we shouldn't hold every every um i don't like to call him an edge rusher but every other player in a similar vein to to the same to the same um standard um i i tend to place pay in a in a bracket with some of his other sort of rookie counterparts um away and, and phillips perhaps um but yeah i have probably have slightly more faith in um in pay to, to to become that player he had a couple of excellent games like you say in the middle of the season um there's lots to like um and as much as those other guys um pay should have plenty of opportunities going forward for the uh, for the coach so yeah i'm on board too by by where you can nice yeah yeah um and then i just have a bonus name here uh somebody that i added uh it was safety Kyrie willis um so again just if you're looking at the colts pay might fetch a you know a higher price but willis is somebody i think you could buy fairly low um the colts have gus bradley coming in uh as their defensive coordinator bringing his heavy cover three scheme uh to indianapolis as well so uh for those that might not be aware, cover three was actually the most efficient coverage scheme for safety tackling last season. Uh, and a lot of that had to do with the the more shallow safety. So thinking about somebody uh, like Jonathan Abram, uh, who 
who was with the Raiders with Gus Bradley, not a very good player, but was a very consistent IDP because of that defensive scheme. Um, I know Will Willis has dealt with a lot of injuries, which keeps his price pretty low. And obviously he, he does have to stay healthy for that return to be worth it. But I think Willis is in a pretty great spot to produce and, and should have a fairly attainable price tag attached to him. Yeah, that's uh, that information about um, the cover three uh, is, is, is a great, great nugget there, John. Uh, I did see you post some, some some stuff on Twitter um, to that um, in, in that sense. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Willis. Um, I I don't I wouldn't go overboard, um, but yeah, I like the fact that you know he spends uh, at least fifty percent, if not more. I don't have the figures in front of me uh, in a, in either the box or on the defensive line. That's something that's always uh, quite attractive uh, in a safety. Uh, I value him as a as a player. Um, like you say, the fact that he played through injuries um, last year. I've, don't know how many games he missed um, exactly, but it's good sort of four or five games. Um, I think that keeps his his, his price down, um, and there's uh, there's some value there to be had if you can if you can pick him up. Still young enough as well. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you just look at the the starting safeties for the Colts. It's Julian Blackman and it's Kyrie Willis. So if you had to pick one uh, who you think is going to be playing more of the deep role and who's going to be playing the shallow role, it's pretty obvious that, you know, Willis is going to be the more uh, more attractive IDP piece for sure. Mm hmm. Um, and then my sell for the Colts is cornerback Kenny Moore the second. So I, I do love Kenny uh, as much as the next guy. But at the same time, if someone loves him so much that they're willing to send you a, a decent player or pick for a cornerback, uh, then he's gone. I, I mean, there's really no reason that we shouldn't be we shouldn't be shopping him as like an add on in trades or if you use him to kind of entice fantasy managers to get bigger deals done with them. Uh, Moore has really been an elite tackler for his position. But if you can move him and, you know, you, you probably downgrade obviously a cornerback of, which is a very deep position just to upgrade at a more valuable or, or shallower position that it's a no brainer for, for me. Um, a hundred and, two total tackles last season is pretty insane uh, considering even his 80 tackles from a season ago was high. So uh, if you're looking to sell a player as close to their ceiling as possible, then that is uh, that's Kenny Moore for me. Yeah. And, uh, and you're right about selling him, you know, selling players in general at their ceiling is, is what we try to do here. Right. Um, yeah. I, he's a tough one for me. Um, as you say, he's, he's undoubtedly being one of the best options at his position in IDP. Um, Buoyed by his tackle volume, he's he's ranked as one of the top players at his position for that reason. In um, in each of the last two seasons, um, it's it's easy to find a reason to argue he's the exception at a position that's famously easy to stream, uh, and he is probably what you know my number one, if not top three uh, corner going into 2022. However, I like you, I subscribe to this general thought process um, that corner is a, is a position we just can't overvalue. And as such, I agree. Moore is a guy that if you can find a market for him, if you can swap him for a player at a at a premium position or, you know, compensation to the equivalent value, that's that's something you've got to explore. Yeah, like it's it's not giving him away for free, right? We're looking for something pretty decent in return. And and I just don't think, yeah, like you said, uh, I mean, it's a cornerback position that uh, is super deep. So, you know, we have to kind of um, set our expectations uh correctly in, in how we value some of these guys. So uh, if somebody's willing to pay for, for Kenny more then then that's the move for me. Um, all right, next team, the, uh, the big spenders, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, 
so my buy, I, I'm not in love with this one, but it's safety Rayshon Jenkins. Um, I, you know, it's the Jags. There's really nobody else that I actually want to go out and, and pay for. Uh, certainly not Foye Aluakon at his perceived value. So I'm going with Jenkins for these reasons. And he, he's essentially to, a lock to be on the roster in 2022 because of how much it would cost the team to cut him. He's actually under contract until 2025. Um, and while safeties are playing more and more of a hybrid role than anything else, Jenkins is one on the team that um, is more likely to see snaps closer to the line of scrimmage just because of the the nature of what teams have asked of him in the past. So we don't know exactly what the, the new Jags coaching staff will ask of him, but with Andre Sisko being more of your typical deep safety, betting on which one will play more of those coveted box snaps for IDP purposes, then my money is on Jenkin, Jenkins. Uh, he did play the eighth most box snaps among safeties last year, which led to him averaging around five tackles per game, which is uh, still above average for his position. Um, and uh, yeah, it's not like, uh, you know, I'm not, overly passionate about it but he's somebody maybe that you could target later in drafts or uh get as kind of a, a cheap throw in and trade something like that yeah you're right so uh i'm glad you uh you you weren't uh you didn't didn't give him a glowing uh because <laughs> i i was going to give him a lukewarm right. um you know like like browning for me earlier he's a he's a player that doesn't satisfy all my criteria for what for what should uh should make up a, a strong sort of buy candidate um and uh, yeah, I've got to point to to what's missing in his case. Then uh, it'll probably be ability. That's not a you know, it's not a it's not to say he's a terrible player. Far from it. I didn't I didn't quite see the, the tackle efficiency from him that I would have liked to see last year. Um, mm-hmm. I know he missed a couple of games um, for a player that had 836 snaps and given he spends such a, a high proportion of his time in the box and all on, on the defensive line over half the time. Um, 69 tackles. It wasn't so much to get me too excited, but as you say, the opportunity remains. Um, so I can see where you've got him here as a buy. He's actually a, a player that the, for the last two seasons I've been picking up um, in exactly the way you describe really late in drafts as a throw in as a part of a trade piece. Um, a, a guy that I can stick back there in my say one of my safety spots and not have to think too hard about it. He's steady. Right. Yeah. And that's, the, I guess that's kind of the, the point too, is he might be a better one of those guys for, for redraft than for dynasty too. Right. Because yeah. like you said, he's, he's not, you know, he's not this great safety and, and, you know, probably isn't going to be sticking around long-term, but um, yeah, you know, I think just as kind of like a flyer, somebody to look at on that Jacksonville defense, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind taking a shot on Jenkins late. Yep. Um, and then my cell is edge defender Calevon Chason, um, with the rationale being that he's not good. Uh, <laughs> I had at least some optimism heading into last season that Chason like could be something starting last year, but I can comfortably say now that uh, that optimism has been flushed down the toilet because he was absolutely shit again in 2021 um i can't even say that he really flashed last season i you know in the very few positively graded plays that he had there were six plays uh that he earned a plus one grade from us so out of those six plays just two of the six were against actual offensive tackles uh and in both cases were in the run game where he missed the tackle in the backfield so he ends up getting a minus one to go right along with that 
plus one netting out to a big fat zero. Uh, the other four wins he had were all against either a fullback or a tight end. Uh, that is literally it. He has shown so little as a first rounder that if you can get anything for him based on his draft draft capital, uh, then you have to do it. I, I mean, he couldn't even beat out Dwayne Smoot for a starting job last year. There are massive red flags around Chase on. He is somebody that I, I need to get away from as far as possible. Oh, yeah. I mean, shit just about covers it, right? He's, <laughs> uh, he's the easiest sell around. He's been uh, completely ineffective for two seasons now. His playing time has diminished. Uh, and the only thing, the only thing um, going for him, uh, it's not very much at all anymore, is the, the name recognition as a, as a former yeah. first rounder, right? So use, use that. Uh, any manager who was enamored with his uh, his talent ahead of the draft two years ago and, and take whatever you can, I'd sell him for, for peanuts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, let's go on to the Tennessee Titans. Um, my buy is linebacker David Long. So again, not so, not one that I'm like incredibly in love with. I, I actually really like Kevin Byard quite a bit as well, um, just as a name to target. But I, I wanted to show the linebackers some love to try and even out some of the sell linebackers narrative from these past two episodes. So uh, the the Titans linebacker situation was uh, it was a hot mess last year, no <laughs> doubt about it. <laughs> um, but if if not for injury, I think it would have been less so. So Long actually started eight straight games last year before he got hurt, and he was starting to show signs that he can be a viable starting linebacker in the NFL. He posted uh, grades above 60 in overall run defense, pass rush grade, and coverage. Um, and while he, he still has some work to do cleaning up the missed tackles, he looked pretty good overall considering he was uh, a sixth round pick in 2019, probably uh, having a lot to do with him being an incredibly undersized uh, player for his position. So and that could be part of the problem with his missed tackles as well. Um, but either way, with Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown expected free agents, Zach Cunningham is like a prime cut candidate for them. Uh, and Monty Rice being the only other linebacker on the roster after that, I think uh, Long has a decent shot to see a significant role in, in 2022 and potentially beyond as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't feel massively strongly about David Long. Um so I guess we're in uh, we're in sync on this one too. Um, he pushed um, Rashawn Evans and and Jayon Brown down the the pecking order early. Um, I guess actually, in fact, he did that towards the end of the 2020 season, didn't he? Um, mm -hmm. But he didn't uh, surrender that top spot at inside linebacker, as you say, until he until he suffered the injury halfway through last year. Um, but you know, he returned late in the season, and though he was eased in initially, he was back to 100% of the. Uh, the snap share by uh, week 18. Um, you're right to point to the uh, the missed tackles. 14.4% last year is a little on the high side for me, and it has been a, a problem for him in um, in previous seasons too. In fact, this season was the lowest missed tackle rate he's he's ever had. Um, right. But I'm, I'm kind of willing to overlook that as he did improve in that area immediately preceding the injury, and he only missed two tackles in the three games once he returned. So... Uh, yeah, I'm I'm cautiously buying David Long too. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's a good way of putting it. Cautiously buying him, not overpaying. Um, and you know, if you could get him at the right price, then he has a shot at least to be a starting linebacker uh, next season. But. Um, continuing with the cell linebackers here, uh, it's uh, Jayon Brown uh, is my cell. So I, again, you know, there, I don't know how much you can get for for Brown, but 
The Titans were obviously not comfortable starting him when given the option. Uh, they kept his snaps pretty limited in games where they didn't have rev- everyone else sidelined with injury. Uh, he didn't he didn't grade out all that well either. Just a 51.2 overall and a 42.1 re- run defense grade. Um, he did test free agency waters last year, which didn't seem to yield the results that he was looking for. Ends up going back to Tennessee on a one-year deal, and even they didn't really find that much use for him. So got to assume he'll hit the market again as another relatively undesirable linebacker. Um, but I think he still has like a fair bit of clout in the, the IDP world because of his past production. So it shouldn't be impossible to trade him away just yet, especially if he signs somewhere that creates any kind of optimism around him. Yeah, so I, I was disappointed with, uh, with Jayon Brown this year. I didn't have, I didn't have crazy high expectations, but um, I have to admit I was a little high on him. Mm-hmm. Going back, you know, three to four years, as you said, you alluded to, he, you know, he had that production. Um, I kind of, I kind of believed at that point there he had what it took to be a, a decent player, and uh, you know, good in coverage as well at that point too, which is you know much sought after sort of commodity for a for for an off ball linebacker. But he just, he just didn't look the same this year um i'm not optimistic they will find a spot um uh, either with the, the 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 tennessee titans or elsewhere um that will give them enough snaps to return to the levels of production that we saw three years ago but i'm also i'm not ruling it out either um this was his first really bad year uh, right. in terms of his uh, in terms of how he graded and how he looked um but i probably would sell but i would wait until free agency played out for him first just to see where he lands because there's quite a few teams still um, that have uh, pretty prominent roles at off-ball linebacker um, that I don't know I doubt he would fill um, but crazier things have happened yeah yeah I think I mean the right situation could it could happen there's still some pretty linebacker needy teams out there so um, yeah if he lands in the right spot it's not impossible for him to get back to that kind of IDP relevancy but um, yeah I just don't have like a ton of faith in him right now I get that, yeah. All right, so we'll take a quick ad break uh, from our friends at Manscaped and RSO, and we will be right back with the AFC East. Can I get a round of applause, everyone? Yay! In case you couldn't tell, I'm joined by my special roommate, Olivia. Say hi, Olivia. Hello. Mostly because Josh said that my last ad had serious tired dad vibes. So we're doing a reshoot of the Manscaped ad to liven it up a bit. And we are excited to announce Manscaped launched their Ultra Premium Collection. Believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts, so I get to bring you on here, and we hardly even get to talk about my bathing suit area. I'm sure that's a massive disappointment for you. But no, we're talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. And let me ask you this, Olivia, what would you say is your favorite manly scent? To pick just one? Oh, so many. Uh, definitely it's gotta be the smell that fills my home after you've eaten an entire cheese pizza, despite being extremely lactose intolerant. Okay, well, I don't think my lactose intolerance is something to make fun of, so we're moving on. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for the everyday man, and I know you view me more as like a Superman type, which is obviously kind of you, but I'll show some humility and say that I fall in the category of an everyman. But anyways, the skin and hair care kit covers you from head to toe. So, literally, Manscaped is trusted below the waist and now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com 
IDPshow.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code IDPshow. All right, we all know how essential the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 is for that precise trim below the waist. Their advanced skin safe technology reduces cuts to your most delicate areas. But now, you can enhance your perfect grooming routine with their ultra premium collection. This package includes Manscaped Premium Deodorant, not just for your balls, but for your stanky armpits. This deodorant dries clear and is aluminum free and smells like their signature scent. Hydrating body moisture. Have tattoos or issues with dry skin? It's designed to keep skin feeling clean, smooth, and smelling fresh. Body wash to lather up with their infused aloe vera and sea salt shower gel. Two-in-one shampoo and conditioner to clean your scalp with just one easy step. Shampoo. Plus a free gift. A three-pack of lip balm made up with their ingredients such as vitamin E, peppermint, and eucalyptus oil to keep those chappers feeling moist right you want to keep the chappers moist and let me ask you personal preference here on a scale of soaking wet to dry af where would you say you prefer my chappers well seeing as you've already used two of your three chapsticks in about a month i'd say you're naturally dry af and would use any lubrication that you can get well i do like to stay lubricated and i can't help it that the chapsticks are very small So that's four products plus a gift inside the Ultra Premium Collection. What a score. All these products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, vegan-friendly, and dye-free. The best ingredients with zero compromise. Uh, As a vegetarian, you have to appreciate them catering to the vegan crowd here. Am I right? Absolutely. Vegan men have the same needs as the rest of y'all. Yeah. Personally, I prefer a little bit of red meat in my uh, body washes and cleaning supplies, but obviously... Uh, not everybody will want that. So I'd recommend using the products in this order. Can you uh, walk me through how to shower and clean properly, please? Definitely. Take notes, please. Step one, hop in the shower, scrub-a-dub-dub that body with the Manscaped body wash. Step two, lather your hair up with the two-in-one shampoo conditioner to keep your noggin toggin. That's great. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What is toggin? Because this tripped me up last time. I don't know what that means. Have you ever heard this before? It means like on point, like keep your head on point. Fire, as the kids say. I don't think that's a thing. I think they use toggin to just make it rhyme with noggin, even though they could have just used completely different um, verbiage there. So anyway, step three. Okay, well, the point is that they both come in the same bottle, two in one. You don't need to do two different steps here. You're saving so much time, okay? So you can only keep it toggin, toggin. If you're using both in one, what if you just have the shampoo? Then you ain't noggin. No, I ain't toggin. <laughs> well, that's for sure. All right, keep going. Okay. Step three. Dry off, get out of the shower, and spray down that body with a hydrating body moisturizer. Moisturizer. Moisturizer to reinvigorate that dry skin. And we know in these uh, dry Canadian winters, you could definitely use that. Yeah, I'm pretty crusty. <laughs> Step four, put on the Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. And step five, pop on that Manscaped lip balm. No one is out here kissing chapped up lips. It's true. That's why I use the lip balm all the time. And I still don't get kisses. Getting dressed after is optional. eh? Wear one great scent all day long. Get that ultra premium collection hot off the shelves. 
Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code IDPSHOW at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code IDPSHOW at manscaped.com. It feels like a song we should probably write. Anyways, the power of attraction is now in a bottle thanks to Manscaped. How's that for tired dad energy, Josh? All right, we're back. Uh, And like I said before the break, we will continue rolling through the AFC, moving on to the AFC East. Okay, so um, I'll start with the uh, the Bills. um, And my first buy, um, this is one that I don't feel... um, massively passionate about i believe in the talent but um but not so much in the opportunity it's gregory russo um i'm taking a bit of a long-term view with him it's a bigger gamble perhaps than some of the other um rookie edge rushers from last year um certainly more risky than guys like you know pay um uh Odafe away and so on um my advice here is is definitely don't overpay for russo and and definitely don't expect immediate returns um he played more than 60% of the defensive snaps in only one game last year because uh, defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier just loves to rotate (laughs) as many bodies as he can on that defensive line. Um, Last year at the edge spot, it included Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, AJ Epineza, Boogie Basham, Effie Abada, and obviously Russo. Um, Now, Derry Hughes, uh, Mario Addison, and the Bardo are all free agents, but I fully expect the Bills to head into 2022 with another heavy rotation at that position. So, you know, why is Russo a buy then for me when I've used, uh, you know, rotation as a, as a reason not to buy guys like Nick Bolton? Um, in this case, it's because uh, Leslie Frazier is already in demand, um, and if the Bills' defense performs even close to how they did in 2021, then Frazier probably won't be there this time next year. It's a it's a big gamble. I understand that. And I don't feel like people have been pumping Russo this season. So I also feel like you might be able to get him for reasonable value, especially if you cite the fact that they have such a heavy rotation as part of your trade offer. Um, but I've seen him ranked on ADP lists below guys like Robert Quinn and Bradley Chubb. And I take Russo over, over both in a heart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I really like that. Like you said um, about Leslie Frazier um, being a potential uh, coaching candidate elsewhere, because I think those are some of the things you have to look at for for Dynasty, right, is being two steps ahead and and kind of uh, playing the long game a little bit and and being patient with some of these guys um, like Russo, because if he were to get that that larger opportunity, he would he would immediately jump up in in IDP value. and you, you wouldn't be able to acquire him for the price that I think you could potentially get him at right now. Right. So, um, yeah, like, I mean, just four sacks as a rookie. So the production isn't necessarily there yet. And I think that helps the case to buy him as well. Um, and he looked good. I, you know, this is a guy that he took the, his final college season off. He, he opted out, uh, and he came back and looked really, really good. So, I'm I'm fairly excited about what Russo could be, with obviously the expectation that the Bills are are still going to utilize a, a rotation under Leslie Frazier. But uh, like you said, if that were to ever change at any point, then you'd be getting yourself a, a pretty great uh, edge rusher. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, uh, proceed with caution. I guess is the uh, is the is is the, is the is the thing to take away with that one. I don't feel massively strongly about it because, as I say, he doesn't have the opportunity or uh, doesn't have the immediate opportunity anyway. So, um, but yeah, I'd be happy. I'd be happy to invest something. If, if, if a manager, um, 
didn't didn't rate him in the in the way that um that I did. So yeah, some, something to think about. Yeah. Um my cell candidate is uh Tremaine Edmonds. Um so my my approach to player evaluation has changed slightly over the years. I talked about this a little earlier about how uh, how ruthless I am now that I want scores. I don't <laughs> tend to hold on to this belief anymore. Um uh that talented or certainly not as much that talented college players can produce in the NFL. Um, where they proved, uh, where they've proven that they, that, you know, for, for several years that they can't do so. Um, I don't think he's progressing. In fact, I think he's regressing. Um, and yeah, that approach can mean I occasionally miss on the late bloomer, but overwhelmingly, I find that admitting I was wrong on a player sooner rather than later works in my favour. Uh, Edmonds is, you know, a great example. I came under some some flack actually for suggesting he wasn't a good player before the 2021 season. Um, and granted, I hadn't taken into account the the fact that he played through an injury in 2020. Um, he did become a better tackler this year, but it's, it's just not enough. He was still poor in coverage, simply failed to meet the lofty expectations we had of him back in 2018 when he was taken 16th overall. Uh, the one thing that works in his favor, he plays lots and lots of snaps, but he's in the final year of his contract. Can't see that continuing going forward. Sell, sell, sell. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> it's no surprise that um, yeah people are are defending Edmonds. I mean, there's I don't know if there's ever been an like an average or below average linebacker that people want to love more than Edmonds, <laughs> right? He he's just not that great. He's not much of a difference maker. And like you said, he had his fifth year option picked up by the Bills, but I can't imagine that. You know, the Bills are one of the smarter teams in the league. I don't think they'll want to extend his stay much longer than that outside of like an incredible season this year. And I, I just don't think we're getting that with him. Like you said, uh, he's had four se- four seasons now to show what he can do. And uh, either he's just a su- super slow developer or, developer or it's not there with him. And, and I'd bet on the latter for sure, um, because outliers like a Demario Davis or Devondre Campbell, I, I mean, they're pretty few and far between. So uh, as we've touched on before, betting on outliers is not usually the smart move. So he's young. People want to keep giving him chances. And, and for that, I think he makes sense as a sell. So he can basically be somebody else's problem while you benefit from from better pieces. Spot on. And it's a slight tangent, but can you imagine how good that Bills defense would be if they had slightly better play right. at that spot? It would be scary. Oh, yeah. No, it was yeah, the best defense in the league last year, right? So... Mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, just he, he, there was times where he was just the liability, and Matt Milano had some issues too. But he was he was much better. But uh, I mean, two solid pieces. If you know, if a Bobby Wagner was was available to them, this like he is this off season, I would take a shot on Bobby Wagner and try to trade Tremaine Edmonds. For sure, even a, even an average average level play from a, a, a linebacker, an off ball linebacker, in back inside linebacker would be would be a huge upgrade right now so yeah I'm, he's an easy sell for me Edmonds and like you say you know enough people out there still still seem to value him um more certainly more than I do so I'd be I'd be definitely looking to sell him yeah yeah he's got those those things that <laughs> I think Tom Tom K brings it up quite a bit about I mean he doesn't have the cool name but uh he's got you know the long hair and the first round draft capital he almost has the trifecta that that Tom talks about being like a big thing for IDP players so yeah yeah. Um, so moving on to the uh, the Dolphins, uh, I've got um, Jalen Phillips as my uh, as my buy here. Um, and this one was 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 as tough as any. Um, I think um, um, if you're playing in the All 22 format this coming season, I'd probably have gone for someone like 
Chiffon Holland. Um, but if not, and I, you know, I appreciate many of the listeners here will be playing in more traditional IDP leagues, and I go with uh, I go with Phillips. Um, honestly, as I say, I'm not as confident in him uh, as I am some of the other buys we're talking about here. His his finishing rate was unsustainably high at 25. percent He'll obviously not be able to maintain that going forward, but I do have faith that he can compensate for that somewhat by generating more pressure in his second season. I think he has the talent. Uh, and can develop. So if you can pick him up without overpaying, do so. Might be a challenge, though. Yeah, it's a good point, right? He was... You know, he was more of a like a designated pass rusher as a rookie, and and he did do that job well. He, like you said, the eight and a half sacks on thirty nine pressures, so a, a higher pressure to sack conversion rate. But definitely, you know, it's above average, but not so much that he's surrounded by like other outliers. I think he's just one spot above uh, Nick Bosa and and Miles Garrett for for edge defenders who have played at least two hundred pass rush snaps in in that pressure to sack conversion rate. So, um, it, I think if he could continue to improve as a pass pass rusher while also kind of expanding his role in the Dolphins defense then there's there's no reason we shouldn't expect to see you know better seasons from him than than what we got this past year yeah um and then my sell and I also don't feel too strongly about the idea that we should sell this guy either um but I'll make my case anyway so Jerome Baker um so his his tackle efficiency is extremely low compared to other linebackers and that's because he spends so much time rushing the passer um so he he had 156 pass rush snaps in 2021 um which was only slightly up from 135 uh snaps in 2022 the only linebackers who had more pass rush opportunities in 2021 were uh micah parsons kyle van noy and and devin white and by the way, it's no surprise that each of those other players also had a, a very low tackle efficiency too. In in Baker's case, uh, 21% of those pass rush attempts came in that memorable game against the Ravens when it seemed like the entire Dolphins defense <laughs> spent the entire game blitzing uh, Lamar Jackson and co. Uh, and you can't discount games like those entirely, but it's worth bearing them in mind for the sake of, uh, of context. Uh, but granted, Baker has had some success as a pass rusher. He had eight sacks in... 2020 and six last year but i think we're on dangerous ground if we assume that can continue um you've only got to look at players like devin white for an example he had nine what nine ten sacks uh, in 2020 and only four last year despite rushing the passer 55 times more um so the question with baker really is uh, will he continue to earn as many sacks with the dolphins going forward to make up for the uh for the lack of tackles that he generates um I'm not convinced. It's not a situation I really want to invest in. So I'd probably be looking to sell high. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Right. And I'm pretty curious to see kind of what Miami's defense is going to look like this season. Obviously with uh, Brian Flores gone, there's, there's pretty big change to expect, but, but who knows it, you know, they did retain their defensive coordinator, um, Josh Boyer. So maybe we still see like a little bit of that um, that dose of man coverage and, and blitz rates, which we know is, like you said, less ideal for linebackers and uh, specifically would be for Jerome Baker. So um, like you said, inefficient as an off-ball linebacker and managed the five and a half sacks. So I think that helps his IDP production and it's something to sell him on as well. So uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Okay, so the Jets next. Um, my buy for the Jets is uh, John Franklin Myers. Um, he 
doesn't get the recognition he deserves. Um, he's started to get more now, um, but he's still, I think, uh, a good buy. Um, I think whether you're in a deep league uh, looking for an edge two or three, or whether you're in a shallow league and just need more more depth, I think Franklin Myers is your is your man. He's he's only 25. Um, I think he was rewarded with a big contract extension last year, so he's going nowhere. Um, he was 18th amongst all edge rushers with 53 pressures in 2021. And he had 51 pressures in 2020 as well, despite spending a fair amount of time on the on the defensive interior. I just tend to find that he's almost always available for good value. Um, the one knock on him is that he doesn't generate a ton of tackles. So if your league scoring format relies heavily upon tackle volume to score well, then yeah, his value does take a bit of a hit. Yeah, but yeah, I'm a big uh, John Franklin Myers fan. So uh, uh, yeah, I think he's he's underrated, right? He's he's uh, he doubled his sack totals uh, last year from 2020. Uh, like you said, the 50 plus pressures and 70 plus pass rush grade uh, in each of the past two seasons. He's just a really solid NFL player and a solid piece for IDP as well. Maybe you know even if you're using him as a depth piece, I think there's there's plenty of value in him at a thinner position. And uh, even if he's like a defensive tackle listed, like uh, on a site like RSO, for example, uh, he, he, you know, his value uh, becomes even higher. So maybe there's, you know, there's talks about the Jets being in the market for another starting edge and Carl Lawson's coming back. So maybe, he, you know, he sees more uh, snaps inside again as well. And and that could help a little bit for his tackle numbers as well. But um yeah, like I said, I'm a big John Franklin Myers fan. I, I, uh, I like what he does in the NFL. Good stuff. Um, my cell is uh, CJ Mosley. I mentioned him earlier, um, and I'm, I mean, I'm expecting some pushback on on him as well. Uh, so many of us uh, remember him for being the, or uh, well, frankly, he was a you know a fancy legend, wasn't he? Uh, in the past, the truth uh, is that last year's his level of play was was just nowhere near what it was. Um, back when we last saw him uh, in 2019, he, he did show signs of improvement in the second half of the season, but it's just it's not enough to convince me to keep hold of him. He'll be uh, he'll be 30 before the start of uh, the 2022 season. Uh, his contract is structured such that the Jets have probably stuck with him for 2022, but he's got a, an 18.5 mil cap number in 2023, and the dead money drops to only three mil. So they'll almost certainly either restructure or I think most likely release him before the 2023 season. The one positive is that um, he produced a lot of tackles at the heart of the Jets' defense last year. Um, so I think um, fantasy managers should use that point, take advantage of it, and sell him for, for peak value. And again, similar to, to Perriman earlier, the only exception to that is uh, for those managers that are in contention and would be left shorthanded at linebacker were they to sell him now, as opposed to maybe partway through the season. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you you mentioned that because yeah, it is very similar to Perriman, right? In that his value this off season compared to next off season is likely to change quite a bit. Like you said, that um, he'll be a likely cut candidate next season. Um, but yeah, he was, you know, he was he was a productive IDP, right? So. He yep. he was a he was a nice buy low last year, uh, coming off an opt out year and an injury and an injury year, um, but now that price has gone up pretty significantly, and I think you can you could fetch a decent return for for CJ Mosley if uh, if you put him on the trade block and and look to move him. Yep. Um, so the Patriots. Um, so I was a little torn on my buy for the Patriots. Um, they've got a couple of players that intrigue me. 
John. Um, I was torn mainly between Christian Barmore and Kyle Duggar, and in the end, I went with Barmore. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty high on on Barmore. There's a there's a lot to like. Um, he only produced uh, a couple of sacks last year, but I think that hides the fact that he was he was pretty damn effective as a pass rusher. Um, he was tenth amongst all players on the defensive interior with 48 pressures, just one behind uh, DeForest Buckner. His 12.1% pressure rate ranked eighth amongst all players at his position. And that pressure rate was second only to Micah Parsons among all rookies. Um, Seth uh, Walder of ESPN um, shared some information towards the end of the year that showed that Barmore did this while being double teamed as much as any defensive tackle not named Aaron Donald. And the fact that he achieved this as a rookie and showed notable improvement as a pass rusher in the second half of the season only gives me more confidence in him going forwards. I think fantasy managers should be, especially in DT required leagues, going out on a limb to try to acquire him. If you have to trade for him, then you might have to hope that existing managers look at only the two sacks he had and don't appreciate the wider picture. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I think people aren't haven't caught on to how good Barmore was uh, as a rookie. Like, so here, this is here are the defensive tackles who had more pressures in their rookie year uh, than Christian Barmore since 2006. So since PFF started tracking this, uh, here's the list: Leonard Williams with 52 in 2015, and that's it. <laughs> uh, DeForest Buckner also had 48 as a rookie, so he tied uh, Barmore. But even Aaron Donald posted just 44 pressures uh, in his rookie year. So not to say that he's going to be Buckner or, or Donald, but that's pretty elite company and, and a positive sign for a second round rookie uh, in a Belichick system that typically has been unkind to rookies. Um, so, yeah, I'm, yeah. I couldn't be more on board with this one. I mean, not everyone is going to be woke to Barmore's potential because he posted just those uh, one and a half sacks last year. And honestly, that's the perfect window to buy him. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he's got, um, he's not the perfect rookie. I mean, no, there's no such right. thing, um, but you know, he's got, he's got some, uh, some areas of his game that he could improve in run defense, obviously. Um, but, I think I see enough to, to, as I say, really sell me on the idea that he could become a really good pass rusher um, going forward. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really intrigued by what he can do uh, in 2023. Uh, sorry, 2022 and 2023 and beyond. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so my sell is uh, Jawan Bentley. Um, he had a he had a career year, um, recorded more than 100 tackles, I think, and you know, well, well done to him for that. Um, difficult to do in that Patriots system but let's be honest he'll, he'll probably never do that again he's a he's a free agent and he'd have to be very fortunate to land uh with a team and a defensive coordinator that will play him near the career best 712 snaps he managed for the Patriots last year he's uh in my opinion a player with a very defined um in other words, limited skill set. Uh, one theme that has probably come through in my evaluations here is I believe quite strongly in this idea that modern linebackers are what we should be aiming for. Um, if you look through the, the limited list of full-time players at the position, they can almost without exception cover better than someone like Bentley can. It's just it's just not who he is. Again, sell high. Yeah, I think I think he's he's likely going to sign with 
with another team, I assume. You know, like you said, he had those efficient tackle numbers. Um, but Belichick is aware. He knows what these guys are. He knows that they're they're pretty limited, and that's why he played uh, less than 65% of the snaps for the Patriots last year, even as their top off-ball linebacker. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. He's not an every-down player, and, and limited, I think, is the perfect way to describe him. He's, he, you know, if you could sell him off of his uh, production last year, then definitely do it. Yep. All right. Our last division uh, is the AFC North. Uh, So I'll start it off with the Baltimore Ravens. And my buy is edge defender Odafe Owe. And again, I understand that these sophomore IDPs have a fair deal of hype around them, so they're they're not going to be easy to acquire. I know I have them as a top 20 edge in Dynasty right now, but I still think we're buying OA closer to his floor here than uh, when you consider, you know, his play that he played uh, over 600 snaps. He posted 49 pressures, which was the most among rookie edge defenders and 25th among all edge defenders. Uh, but considering that every other edge defender who had more pressures than him also played at least 60 more snaps than him on the year. So essentially a full game's worth of snaps. I think there's plenty of room for Oa to grow as a pass rusher. Even if you look at like the, the names after him, 17 of the 25 names listed after him in the pressure leaderboard played more snaps than him. So he did more with less as a rookie, basically, is what I'm trying to say. And while this is partially due to the way that the Ravens deploy their pass rushers, they're also getting a, ne- a new defensive coordinator this season. Uh, and OA should be a, a pretty big building block uh uh, for that defense going forward and he's another one of those guys kind of those super athletes who we can you know safely bet on his boom uh still being yet to come and and i'd be pushing quite a bit for for oa at his perceived market cost right now if you can yeah uh i I feel similarly i uh again uh as we were talking about with the other uh rookie edge rushers uh you know they don't tend to have immediate success and and certainly don't tend to be very consistent um but uh, yeah, like the others, uh, away flashed enough uh, to provide us with some some real optimism going forward. I, I noted that he had uh, a better uh, pass rush win rate than um, all other edge rushers, with the exception of uh, Parsons, uh, which um, which is you know encouraging. And he's got a clearer path to, to more snaps than someone like um, you know Russo. So yeah, I'm on board. Nice. All right. And uh, my sell is, I mean, if, if you listen to me at all over the past year, <laughs> then you probably already know who I'm going to say here. But it's I know yeah, going. it's Patrick Queen. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you haven't done so yet, then there's there's no time like the present to get back to the trade table and start shopping Queen based on his age and his first round draft capital. All the red flags are there. It's time to stop giving him a pass for being a first round player uh, and being young. He's he's not even really a player that is this great tackle producer. He has the same tackle efficiency as Damian Wilson uh, and Keanu Neal last season when he lined up as an off-ball linebacker. And then when he lined up anywhere else on the field, he's one of the most inefficient tacklers in the league. He, He finished 80th of 84 qualifiers. So there's little to no allure with this player and anyone that still has any kind of optimism about his outlook. uh, That's your ideal trade partner. And believe me, there are plenty of people out there who are still drawn to him in IDP uh, and the return for him should be profitable for you long term. Yeah, and this, you know, this comes back to the point I was making earlier on. We hold on to this this notion that players who were talented in college will eventually become 
talented NFL players long after they've shown that they, they won't or probably won't. Um, Queens played 1700 snaps in the NFL now or, or near to it. Um, and in that time he's, he's done nothing to show us that he has what it takes to become competent in, uh, in any aspect of, uh, of, of, of football. Um, and while it looks like he overcome his tendency to miss tackles after the first month of the season, the problem resurfaced towards the end of the year again. Uh, he had 18.3% missed tackle rate in 2020, 17.5% in 2021. Uh, it, it's, it's, it goes beyond missing opportunities to earn fantasy points at that point there. It's just another reason why he won't continue to be uh, an every down linebacker going forward. Um, he got traded for a... Uh, a fifth and a sixth, actually, in one of my home leagues just yesterday. Oh, wow. <laughs> and even then, even then, I was sat there thinking, you know, I'll get in trouble with the manager uh, in question uh, for for saying so. But that's that's an overpay, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think people that have been paying attention know that you know it, we're reaching the end of his his IDP value. But there's still plenty of people out there willing to pay for him. So I mean, those are the people that I want to sell him to. Um, all right, let's go to the Cincinnati Bengals. So this one, I, I put edge defender Joseph Osai. So this one is really kind of a shot in the dark because we'd be positioning ourselves basically to acquire like a truly unknown quantity with with Osai missing his entire rookie year with a knee injury that he suffered uh, in the first preseason game of the year. And I, I want to be clear, I'm not buying him just based off his grades in one preseason game, which were high uh, on 33 snaps. He did have seven pressures, a sack, earned an 89.6 overall grade. But I'm mostly looking to acquire him because I think his competition as a pass rusher, uh, which is Sam Hubbard, isn't really that great of a pass rusher. So I think there's a role that Osai could carve out for himself if healthy and and given the opportunity. So the Bengals, they leaned very heavily on just two edge rushers in 2021, uh, which probably had a lot to do with them not having many other options between Khalid Kareem, Wyatt Ray, Cam Sample, uh, even Noah Spence, um, not exactly household names, even in IDP circles. Um, so I, yeah, he's also just kind of a really interesting prospect. He started off as an off-ball linebacker for Texas in 2019, but he was such an effective blitzer that they moved him to the edge and he actually uh, only got better at that. So uh, his first year as a full-time edge rusher with the Longhorns in 2020, he earned an 80.5 pass rush grade, posted 33 pressures and seven sacks. So still very inexperienced at the position, but has shown quite a bit of promise, which is important for the Bengals because like I said, I don't think Sam Hubbard should be relied on to play another 500 plus pass rush snaps going forward. Yeah, I, I like this, John. It's uh, it's ballsy, um, like you said. We haven't we haven't seen much of him, right? Um, but the fact that he's he's not yet a household name that that works to our advantage. So if you're gonna if you believe in his talent level, um, then now is the right time to strike. Uh, he's uh, you know as you said as as well. He's he's relatively inexperienced at at outside linebacker. That was one of the um, the knocks on him. Um, entering the draft but but scouts you know nfl scouts as part of that process were raving about how quickly he had improved in a relatively short period of time and uh, the bengals camp were, were talking highly about him too he's a he's a high motor player um he only as you say only had one preseason game um, before the injury but but what a game right he uh <laughs> he, 
terrorize the Bucks. Um, I think uh, I could be wrong, and someone can uh, can can call me up or bring me up on this if I am wrong. But I think he played against the starters um, for the most part. Um, generated seven pressures, you say, sacked Tom Brady. Um, I'm quite excited to see what he can do. My only my only reservation with uh, Asai um, is that we have to wait until either Hubbard or Hendrickson leaves before he can really sort of realize uh, any potential there. And, and both Hubbard and Hendrickson are under contract for a little while now. So yeah. um, obviously Asai is uh, going to be playing a complementary role for 2022, but I do believe in the talent. And as you say, you know, before he becomes a... Um, uh, a bigger name um, now is the right time to uh, to try and pick him up. Yeah, yeah, like we'd definitely be playing the long game uh, with Osai, like you said. Hubbard Hendrickson are going to be under contract, and you know maybe it takes an injury or something like that, or or a trade, or you know cut eventually for Osai to get in there. But he, you know, he he's still very raw at the position too, right? So there's going to be, I think, a, a learning curve for him in the NFL. Uh, it's going to take him a little bit of time and uh, still fairly young too. So I think, um, yeah, I think buying it on him now is is going to be at the lowest point you can get him. So, uh, and then just being patient, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of the forgotten. Yeah. And then, and that just kind of building on my, uh, my buy here, my sell is Sam Hubbard. So, uh, Hubbard has always been this kind of, he's like a great tackler from the edge, but he's never really been a great pass rusher. Uh, since he entered the league in 2018, his pass rush win rate has never cracked the top 50 for his position. And his pressure rate has been outside of the top 40 for his position uh, in every year that he's been in the league. It's usually much lower than that, too. So he, he thrives kind of as a run defender. But this past year was his lowest graded season in that regard. I think it was a 57.4. Uh, and then he set a new career high for missed tackle rate as well at 15.9%. So uh, I think he'd absolutely be selling at his ceiling after this past year. He played a ridiculous amount of snaps, sixth most among edge defenders, and racked up a ton of volume-based production. So if we're in on Osai eating into that workload, then that definitely means less opportunity uh, for production for Hubbard, which was his biggest asset. And in that case, I'm trying to get out of the Hubbard business right meow. Yeah, so as you rightly as you rightfully say, Hubbard's a Hubbard's a tough one, a weird one, right? So I don't I don't believe he's he's anything more than a than an average, uh, maybe slightly above average pass rusher. But um, as you mentioned, what he does offer is uh, is and I appreciate the value of this varies depending on the scoring format of uh, of, of leagues out there. Is is high tackle volume? I think he's at. Um, 186 tackles in the last three seasons, which I don't know how that compares against the others. I haven't, no other edge rushers. I haven't, I haven't looked, but I very I, high. I, I place bets on that being <laughs> extremely, extremely yeah. high. Top, top five. I haven't. Um, I, I'd place good money on um, the idea that, yeah, a healthy Asai in the mix stands to reason that that Hubbard and, and maybe even Hendrickson, as good as he was as a pass rusher, will will play slightly fewer snaps going forward. Um, and for that reason, yeah. This is probably Hubbard's um, peak value. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, all right, let's go to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, my buy for the Browns is linebacker Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. So this is the one for me that I've been trying uh, to acquire. It's not easy out there right now. That's for sure that the JOK hive is beginning to emerge and it won't be long before his window is closed and, and we're overpaying. But hell, I mean, some leaks, the window is already closed depending on who's rostering him. But either way, keeping with the theme of buying a player closer to their floor than their ceiling, the floor probably doesn't get much lower for JOK's immediate future. Uh, he played more than 50 snaps in just six games, missed time with injury, still managed 76 tackles, one and a half sacks, three tackles for loss, two forced fumbles, and four pass breakups. Uh, I mean, I was somewhat skeptical about JOK positively transitioning to the NFL so soon in his career, but... Man, he, he's looked really good so far and uh, with room to get even better. So his weakness was definitely the the missed tackle rate uh, of 17.4%. But I think that was outweighed by his overall strength as uh, one of the top 10 highest graded linebackers last season. And I think with his aggressiveness and ability to make play, big plays, you live with some of that uh, missed tackle opportunities since he can make up for it with the TFLs and sacks or just tackles from anywhere on the field. So there aren't many linebackers that I'm overly ambitious about acquiring this offseason, but JOK is definitely one of them. Yeah, count count me as a fan, John. I, uh, I picked him up in in quite a few leagues, uh, and I did so expecting to to wait for a return on my investment. Um, like you, I, I wasn't entirely sure that he uh, would become successful, certainly not this early. Um, and in fact, in one league, I had uh, Jameen Davis and David Collins fall into my lap in the draft, and I was far more confident that uh, that both of those <laughs> would return more immediate production but the uh, obviously the inverse was true yeah. um it was the you know the so-called uh developmental project um that outshone both partly to the fact due to the fact he was given the uh afforded the opportunity to shine right but um it was more about just being given a chance he was uh he was quite a bit better than i expected and played well enough to give the team confidence to give him um a, a reasonably sizable role um i noted that um that he and walker only played 10 games together in 2021 and uh awusu koromoa played more snaps in five of those including three of their last four games together um he, he may have made um in fact have i seen anthony walker um has he hit free agency yet um i think he's made anthony walker expendable to to some extent um he's, he's just so much fun to watch i said earlier on that i try to keep um emotions uh, out of uh, out of fantasy football decisions but sometimes occasionally if it means taking a player you know one round earlier than i might do otherwise um deep into the draft then i'll do so and yeah he was he was one of those for me he's he's a lot of fun to watch definitely yeah i think that's a good description is he's definitely fun to watch and uh he flies all over the field so hoping to see more of him next season um which leads into my cell which is linebacker anthony walker um who has been good for idp for a few years now and and that's kind of what i'm selling him on uh he's had at least 90 tackles in each of the past four years doing so with two different teams he's now likely heading to his third team in as many years which not only shows a bit how the NFL values him, but also lowering his IDP value a bit because his role is going to be up in the air with less and less uh, teams relying on those multiple three down linebackers. 
So even if he ends up in Cleveland um, re-signing there, there's now a healthy JOK uh, and Jacob Phillips that, he, that he'll have to contend with for snaps. So he's kind of this prototypical bridge linebacker in my, in my opinion. And for dynasty purposes, that's someone that I'm going to try to uh, sell uh, for a sturdier option, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I thought he played better last year than than he's played um, ever before, including those um, those productive seasons he had next to um, Darius Leonard of the Colts. Um, I think if he leaves, he could and, and arguably should land a, uh, a reasonably uh, sizable role elsewhere. Um, but yeah, there are question marks hanging over him right now. So can understand why you've got him listed as a sell. Yeah, yeah. Again, depending on landing spot, you know, if he goes to the Eagles or something like that, somebody that needs linebacker help, um, he could definitely still make that impact. But yeah, just more concerned with him for like long-term value, but uh, definitely somebody that uh, there's still something left in him. And I think that you could sell him on that as well. Um, And the very last team on the list, it is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And my buy is edge defender, Alex Highsmith. So yeah, so the Steelers are, they're really kind of this this two-edge team, right? Um, a double-edged sword, if you will. <laughs> um, so assuming they don't bring in another star at the position, and I think a whole lot depends on that, because if you just want to find another volume producer from the position, then it doesn't get much better than than Highsmith. And, and that's kind of what I'm buying him on, is basically his opportunity more than anything else. <laughs> Uh, because that defensive line and, and blitz-heavy scheme that the, the Steelers run over there has created the most cleanup pressures of any team in the NFL the past few years, which in turn creates more sack opportunities for those cleaning them up. And Highsmith, he's, he's a decent edge. He's not great, but he's fine. And, and with large opportunities similar to what we saw this past season, I think he could be a, a decent IDP to plug into lineups when needed. So again, another interesting point you mentioned, John, about the uh, the cleanup pressures. I wasn't I wasn't aware of that. I was going to ask you actually on on Highsmith how how confident you are that he can progress. But you've answered the yeah. question already there when talking about the fact that you like him um, based somewhat on the the opportunities he has there. I, I like Highsmith. I think he's a a good player. I just I just don't I don't love right. him. Um, Thirty-six pressures on four hundred and fifty-six pass rush attempts for a seven point eight percent pressure rate. The eight sacks looks nice, um, but he he converted. He had to convert eight of his thirty-six pressures into sacks to get that. He played a lot of snaps, you know, as you said, eighth amongst uh, all edge rushers, I believe. Um, yeah. So I again, I'll go back to the the point I mentioned a minute ago. I like him, um, and I think he's uh, I think he's decent. I just I'm just not not in love with him. But um, as you say, if the Steelers don't bring in any any real competition, um, you've got to assume that he'll probably play a similar amount of snaps to uh, to that which he did last year. And in that case, um, yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting an interesting proposition, right? Yeah, and that and that's the thing with him, right? He's like you said, we're we're not in love with him. Uh, we're very much in like with him. Where he, he you know, he's yeah. he's got the opportunity right now, uh, assuming they don't bring anybody else, and it. It's just, it's basically, I mean, the Steelers as a team really produce a lot more sacks. And, and like I said, those kind of, those pressure uh, opportunities and, and simulated pressures and things like that, that they can be productive IDPs um, uh, as a result. So that, that, that's really what I'm banking on for Highsmith. Not, like you said, not in love with them. Just, he's just kind of there. And, and I think uh, 
one of those players that can benefit from being in a, a high volume situation. Yep. Uh, and the last player on the list, linebacker, Devin Bush. Um, oh man, where to start? So Bush uh, has been a disappointing player as a top 10 pick, uh, at, at about as disappointing as you'll find in the recent years. Uh, this past year being the worst so far, finished dead last of 94 qualifiers in run defense grade for his position with a 27.2, which led to an overall grade of just 34.4 for the year, which was 89th of 94 linebackers. Um, he was an inefficient tackler, no matter where he lined up on the field, and he saw his role diminish on the field as well this year, making his outlook even worse. Uh, he's young. He has first-round draft capital to his name. Because of that, finding a potential trade suitor shouldn't be too difficult, but he's just not good. He's consistently out of position, and that's why you see those uh, inefficient tackle numbers as well. Uh, either way, I, I mean, I'm just trying to get rid of him right now because I, I think he's one of the worst lineback starting linebackers in the NFL right now. Yeah. I mean, what a shame to end our <laughs> discussions know. on these by lows with Devin Bush. Uh, maybe we should have led, uh, led with uh, cells and talked about flies afterwards. Ended on Highsmith. Yeah. yeah. Devin Bush, uh, he was already playing at a, at a mediocre level in 2019 and, and 2020, but, um, Bizarrely, he, he requested even further <laughs> last year. It, it's time to move on. He's he's not the player any of us expected him to be. The only the only area of his game we could speak highly about is his tackle ability. He doesn't miss a lot of tackles. Everything else, literally everything else, is a negative. Yeah, and I still I still say that like he doesn't miss a lot of tackles because he's not ever in position to make a tackle. <laughs> so, uh, He's, yeah, yeah, he's got a lot of problems um, just from watching a lot of his his tape from last year. And it's hard to imagine it gets much better for him. So if anybody's willing to buy Devin Bush, I, he's he's a big time sell for me. Good luck. Good <laughs> yeah. luck finding a trade point. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but that's it. We did it. Um, I mean, between last episode and this one, we've given you buy and sell candidates from all 32 teams. So uh, get out there put some trade offers together and let us know who you were able to acquire or move from our lists. Uh, a huge thank you to my guy, Jace Abbey for coming on and crushing the analysis as always. Jace, uh, thank you for taking the time in the late hours of the evenings, evening across seas. And uh, please tell the good people where they could find you and your work. Uh, hey, John, first, firstly, you're, you're, you're very, very welcome. I, I love talking defense. Um, uh, I'd do it until, until uh, I was falling over with my chair from tiredness. So, uh, yeah, if anybody ever wants to uh, to talk about defense, hit me up. I'm always available. I'm on uh, Twitter as uh, Jace Abbey. Um, and, yeah, I'll be doing a similar sort of start sit to that, which I did um, last year for IDP guys next year. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've been getting involved in some pretty interesting um uh series throughout feb and march with uh dlf and there's plenty more to come going forward in that sense so yep you can find me on twitter for the most part um always available to uh to chat to chat defense thanks again john it's been it's been a lot oh no problem and yeah i i mean you're crushing it i i 
it's no it's no surprise that you're in high demand working for both uh, IDP guys and DLF. Um, so yeah, anyone that that isn't already, please go follow Jace uh, on the Twitter and check out his work if you want to win uh, your IDP leagues. Um, and even if you want to lose, check out his work and just do the opposite of what Jace says, and and you're sure to tank. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jace, it's yeah, good, so. Jace, thank you again. Uh, and as always, you can find my work on pff.com. I'm on the Twitter at pff underscore macri so please check that out as well because we'll uh, we'll be pushing content out uh, from both those outlets all year long and next episode in two weeks everyone's favorite off-season topic for dynasty rookies uh we're going to be doing a deep dive on a bunch of this year's incoming crop of idps starting with the linebackers as i'm joined by the knowledgeable huggable, lovable Kyle Bellafuel from IDP guys. So be on the lookout for that. Always fun talking rookies and even more fun talking with Kyle B. I appreciate everyone tuning in. And until next time, IDP's out.